You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. We're the business development resource for group practice owners, where we talk candidly about business ownership and leadership. From practice building tips to live coaching to real talk episodes with other group practice owners, we're the resource you've been looking for to help you grow your group practice. I'm your host, group practice owner and entrepreneur, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is an online EHR, practice management, and billing software designed for mental health professionals. Therapy Notes has everything you need to manage patient records, schedule appointments, create rich documentation, and bill insurance right at your fingertips. They offer free and unlimited live support seven days a week. Their streamlined software is accessible wherever and whenever you need it. To get two free months, go to www.therapynotes.com forward slash r forward slash the group practice exchange. Need a new accountant or bookkeeper? Meet Green Oak Accounting, an accounting firm that works specifically with private practices. They do all of your accounting needs from budgeting to accounting to bookkeeping and payroll to building your dashboard. On top of that, they can help you set up your profit first systems. Go to greenoakaccounting.com and mention the group practice exchange for $100 off your first month. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Today, I have M.A. Bruno on with me, and she is a public speaking and communications coach. And I'm really excited to have her on because we're going to be talking about what are the three choices that we need to make to be successful when it comes to public speaking. So, hey, how are you? I am good. Thanks so much for inviting me. I appreciate the conversation. Yeah. So tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do for people. Absolutely. My background is in theater. I'm a lifelong actor. I've been acting since I was five. And then I shifted into directing theater. I did that for about 25 years. I still do it every now and then. And I'm a university professor. I taught acting for many years and I coach individuals and offer workshops in order to help people improve their presentation and to get them speaking articulately and elegantly. Awesome. I know that with my audience, group practice owners, a lot of times, once they get to a space where they feel like their businesses have sort of grown to a space where they have leaders who are able to manage the day-to-day, they're thinking about what else can I do impact-wise. And a lot of practice owners end up thinking about public speaking, keynoting. And I know that's just an area where it requires support and it's not something that comes naturally for a lot of people. And so I think this is just a really relevant and great topic to be talking about today with my audience. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise around this topic. Yeah, it's such a tough moment when you decide to put yourself out there, when you become the face and you become the voice, because it's much easier to write your ideas, to put out a blog, to to share your ideas in safer ways. And the second that you decide, I'm going to step in front of this camera, I'm going to Instagram story, I'm going to TikTok, I'm going to YouTube, or whatever it is, even if it's just standing in front of a room full of 300 people, I'm making it sound like that's the easiest thing. It's a big shift. It's a big step. Yeah, it's a level of vulnerability that you don't get when you're writing or blogging. It's so true. And I think what a lot of people struggle with is that they feel very authentic in themselves when they're writing or when they're 
sending out materials. But as soon as they step in front of other people, they start to question themselves and who they are. And I think, you know, what they're really having is an identity crisis. It's who am I right now as I stand in front of these people? What are they seeing? Mm -hmm. I can imagine that piece of it is fear that who we are on a day-to-day basis or normally when it comes to whatever it is that we're talking on might not be accepted by others when we're actually speaking on it. I know that was something that it was an issue for me and probably still is to some extent is I'm pretty down to earth. As you can see, I have colorful hair and sleeve tattoos and piercings and doesn't quite fit in with the business consulting world. And behind the scenes, giving that information is a lot easier. But I remember thinking, you know, I'm just really down to earth with how I talk and how I engage and give my information that when I first started public speaking, I thought this is going to be the moment where people feel like, who is this person? This does not, how she speaks, like it almost doesn't matter what I'm talking on anymore and the quality of what I'm talking on when how I present physically and how I talk kind of goes against this professional business sort of lens that is sort of expected in my arena. So I can understand how people get to that space. Yeah. You know, you're at war with judgment. There's Mm -hmm. this fear of judgment. What are other people going to think? What are they going to see? Do I measure up in some way? But also we always change just a little bit when we start doing public speaking. Some of us become louder. Some of us become very soft. Some of us turn to professionalism. We put on our professional voices. And Mm -hmm. some people have the skill where they just become extremely dynamic or they'll put on a very chirpy, very positive, you know, and like what we see a lot of dudes, they all want to be like Gary V. I don't know if you yeah. know who that is, but they want to be aggressive and in your face. So people shift a little bit. And I'm here to say that I think it's important that you become really conscious about the choices that you make when you choose your public identity. It should be as close to you as possible. But when you feel yourself start to change because other people are watching, You need to have some ideas about that in advance. So you mentioned about choices, and that's sort of the topic for today is the uh, three choices, and I'm eager to hear what these three choices are that we need to make when we engage in public speaking. Absolutely. I think, and I've really distilled this down because I feel it's at the core of what I do with people when I'm working with them. The first question that I ask any client that I work with is, who are speakers that you admire? Mm -hmm. And whether people work with me or whether they don't work with me, I feel that that question is that it enables them to take a couple of steps forward in terms of their own self-improvement. Because if you can identify a CEO, a comedian, a politician, a celebrity, anybody who's in this, a podcaster, anybody who is in the speaking realm, if you can identify who you really like. That will tell you a lot about what your own personal aesthetic is. And what you like is very close to what you want to become. You will be you, but now you've got a path. For example, if you really value, you know, you said down to earth, authentic, you know, these are things that are you, they shape you, you know, that you've always responded well to that. Mm -hmm. So a speaker, perhaps like Tony Robbins, wouldn't resonate with you. It's not something that you're after. And, um, and I think that making a decision about the kinds of speakers that you like is defining your aesthetic, and then you have an idea of where you're going. It can be really dangerous for people looking for help in terms of their public identities from coaches that might want to fix you right. and turn you into a cookie cutter 
version of what what they think a good public speaker is. Mm -hmm. You know, what I think is a good public speaker is probably different than what you think in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that you decide before you seek help and before you start reading books on public speaking and getting into all of that, you know, like, what do you like? Who do you Mm -hmm. like to listen to? And is there a way that somebody talks that you just, you can't get enough? You love listening to that voice. Mm-hmm. That's the number one choice that I think that you make is choosing where you're headed so that right. when you do seek out help with it, if you do, that you know where you're going and you can drive the bus. I really like that. It definitely helps guide, like you said, the people we like most when it comes to a certain topic. Usually there's some level of we want to emulate that in some ways. And so being able to know, I guess, who we like, but also why, what is it about them? Because one interesting thing, as you said, who are three, you know, public speakers that you really like, you know, I think of Brene Brown, I think of Glennon Doyle, but I also think of Gary Vee, who is very different than those two. And there's different reasons why I like all three of them, you know, for their vulnerability or openness and storytelling abilities. But for, you know, with Gary Vee, it's more about He's able to be authentic and not polished in a way, which feels like me in a lot of ways that I think a lot of public speakers feel like they need to get all polished up and the videos need to look professional. And, you know, his are kind of off the cuff and not, you know, all professionally put together sometimes. And I just love that sort of laid back authenticness, but they're all very different. So yeah, they're all very different, but in the same way, those people have something in common, which is that they sound like they're just speaking to you. Yeah. They sound like they're just talking with the exception of Gary Vee. The others are, they're very well rehearsed. Yeah. You know, but they're able to pull off that feeling of, I'm just talking to you in this moment right now. And that to me sounds like what you're after is that ability to be present with people. And I've heard your podcast and you achieve that. You sound like you're just talking with people and that resonates, translates for sure. Yeah. So what's the second choice we have to make? The second choice is, this is going to seem really, really obvious and forgive me for this very remedial response to this, but it's huge. People often reach out and they say, I want to work with a coach because I just want to build up my confidence. And I'm not being snarky when I return with a question and I say, how do you think we're going to do that? How are we going to build your confidence? Are we going to go to a confidence gym? Are we going to do confidence reps? Like, how are we going to build it? And if you get somebody thinking about that idea, what that means is that most people think of confidence as something sort of ethereal or ephemeral, something they will finally have one day when they dot, 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 whatever it is. And the truth is that confidence is a choice. So that is the second choice that you make is that you choose confidence. And I can speak a little further on that. I think that right now, if you wanted to, you could choose to make yourself feel sad. Mm -hmm. You could dredge up some childhood trauma. You could go back to some memories. You could think about sad things. You could think about the possibility of what if this horrible thing happened. You could put yourself into a sad state. We can all go to the dark place if we want. Mm -hmm. And similarly, confidence can be chosen in the same way. You have been confidence before. You have been in confidence before. And you can be in confidence now if you choose it. So for example, when I'm presenting, I have this I don't know. It's kind of a little ritual that I have, but I think to myself, I've got a mantra that I say going up there. And as soon as I'm standing at the podium, the mic and the Zoom screen, whatever it is, I imagine 
stepping into my confident shoes. Mm -hmm. And I am that because I've been there before. I know what it feels like. And I conjure that up now immediately. And Mm -hmm. I feel that it is a choice. And when you make it, when you take the time to make it in the moment, then I think that you have more success and you'll start to look more present in front of other people. When you're not confident, when you shrink, right? And what you see a lot at at podiums is people will lean into a hip and they'll close down a shoulder. You can see them visibly disappear into Mm -hmm. themselves a little bit. And so they are in a state of self-consciousness. And when you step forward and you're with other people, then you have capacity to be other conscious, to really make an impact on other people. But it involves making that choice. Definitely. I'm confident right now in this moment. So there's a bit of intentionality behind that. And I also think to your point, what I was hearing too, is when we're able then to be confident and be present, we're not trying to think so far ahead in our talk. And just speak from, you know, that moment. Absolutely. You know, plays into this whole being in the moment, being present, being authentic and intentional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that being present is really linked to this third piece, this third choice that, that public speakers, they have to make it. You have to make it if you're standing in front of people and sharing your ideas. And recognizing that it is a choice can make it a little bit more empowering. And that is allowing yourself to be seen. Yeah. And it's that same idea that I was just talking about where, you know, people step up to a podium and then they visibly disappear. I always love to talk about the masculine version of that where, you know, I see a lot of dudes who get up and then they put their hand in their pocket. When they put their hand in their pocket, they're saying, I'm really casual right now. Nothing's tense here. Mm -hmm. Nothing to be afraid of. I've got this under control. And whenever I see a dude put his hand in his pocket, I'm thinking that dude is freaking out. It's a way of hiding. And allowing yourself to be seen is difficult. It's tricky in that moment when you stand up and maybe those voices are coming in and you're feeling a little timid or you're just feeling weird or you're feeling like, why did I wear this shirt? Or you're feeling who am I to be sharing these ideas? What authority do I have? All of this stuff creeps in and they're not actual constructed sentences in your mind Mm. when you're losing that confidence and you're losing that sense of owning space. But when you think about allowing people, just let them look, let them look at you. It's tricky business, but it is a choice that you make. And I think one of the most empowering. I want to know your thoughts on imposter syndrome and public speaking. I feel like it has a hand in this last piece that you were bringing up. So imposter syndrome is not actually like a syndrome. It's not like a clinical. It's a pairing of phrases, right? Imposter syndrome is a pairing of phrases that we use as a shortcut to describe all of the falling apart that we do in front of people. And I think that there's a lot that you can do to get in front of imposter syndrome, right? I mean, there are a lot of people who advance early in their careers. You know, somebody will reach out to me and they'll say, hey, you know, I mean, I'm only 28 and I've been promoted in my company three times, but every time I get in front of people, I feel like they're evaluating me, they're judging me because secretly what they're thinking is this person didn't deserve, I didn't deserve, you know, this position or where I'm at in my time. And typically at that point, I'll say, so why did your director, your manager, your boss, why did they give you the job? 
And they'll start listing all of the reasons. And I said, I kind of tricked you there. I said, I put it into the perspective of your director, your manager, but you're now telling me why you have the position. Self-talk is huge. I think we know that, you know, the things that you tell yourself are the things that truly resonate. And unfortunately, they do show, right? They're visible. You know, people can see them. But imposter syndrome is telling yourself about why you're there. Imposter syndrome, getting in front of it is about preparation as well. I think when we're prepared, we're way more confident than when we're just sort of winging it. You know, I see a lot of presentations that are the result of bullet points. I'm going to get up there and I'm just going to speak very freely and I'm going to use these bullet points as a reference. And that typically devolves into rambling or you start to get ahead of yourself. If you're really smart, you're going to get ahead of yourself and then you're going to freeze in a moment where you're, you can't find the word because your mind is way ahead of your mouth. So preparation is huge. And I think Finding a system for prep that works for you, that you can repeat over and over and over again, that becomes a very quick shortcut. You know, for example, if somebody says, hey, can you present today five minutes on blah, blah, blah at three o'clock and it's 10 a.m., then you're going to be able to handle that because you have systems. Mm -hmm. And imposter syndrome is also, you can go to war with that, with your breath, with breathing. And, and I don't mean that in a woo-woo way, like I'm not talking about like, let's um it out and like and get to a very centered, but I am as well. I, I've also taught yoga. And so I, I do believe in that, that as well at the same time that I roll my eyes about it. But I think that there are breathing exercises you can be doing before you present yourself to others mm-hmm. and, you know, some very specific ones for specific situations. But what we're often looking at when people are presenting is that they've got an imbalance of oxygen and carbon dioxide going on. And when you've got too much carbon dioxide in your bloodstream, your hands are going to shake, your voice is going to get a little wobbly, you're going to start to disassociate, you're going to leave yourself. I mean, we have that experience when we give Mm -hmm. a presentation and then afterwards we don't remember it. We don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. And um, that subtle disassociation, unfortunately, also creates this air of you not being present with other people. Mm-hmm. And definitely doesn't help with confidence. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's kind of devolves into spiraling into despair. Exactly. Yeah, I know we're getting towards the end of talk today. But if people were group practice owners were interested in getting support from you, one, can you just let people know where they can find you? But also like in what kind of ways do you support people when it comes to public speaking? Yeah, people can find me at my website and I'll spell it because I've got a weird name. It's www. It's mabruno.com. So it's A-I-M-E-E-B-R-U-N-E-A-U.com. Typically when I'm working with individuals, I love working with individuals. It's my favorite thing. Feels personal and you're not working, you know, in groups, people are more inclined to compare themselves with others. And uh, I, I work with people in six sessions. I feel like that is enough to get them to a place where they've got the systems that they need in order to continue advancing on their own. Sometimes I'll continue working with people if they really want to, but my goal is to get through successions with people on a weekly or every other week basis so that it feels like an intensive and then you have all the tools. And if I've done my job well, and I always do, then I think that you should be able to handle things moving forward and maybe just reach back if you've got a huge keynote or, or something like that down the line. Another way that I work with people is that I will come in and work with a group and do workshops. I work with different organizations 
some of them on a repeat basis. And every now and then, you know, I love working with new groups and going in and just talking about presentational skills generally, or looking at the culture of communication that exists within an organization. You know, what are the roadblocks? What, you know, how are people stumbling? How do people feel restricted? You know, is creativity being stifled? These sorts of things. So that's how I like to work with folks. I love it. I really appreciate you taking time out on your busy Monday. And we'll make sure to share all of that information also in our show notes for anyone who is interested in working with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support? Join The Exchange, a membership community just for group practice owners with monthly office hours, live webinars, and a library of trainings ready for you to dive into. Visit www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you next week.